listening to a Sharesies podcast. It's Friday the 8th of April. This is Recap brought to you by Sharesies. Sharesies is a wealth development platform where our purpose is to create financial empowerment for everyone. Here's the disclaimer. Investing involves risk. You aren't guaranteed to make money and you might lose the money you started with. Any information we provide is general only and current at the time. If you're looking for help with your investment choices, we recommend talking to a licensed financial advice provider. Do, 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 do. Hi, Vanessa. Hi, Jose. How you doing? How's your week been? Yeah, not too bad, not too bad. How Happy amped? it's Friday. Yeah, I was about to say, how amped are you to get to Casual Friday? So amped, Jose. And next weekend particularly because, you know, oh, Easter yeah. Bunny. Oh, yes. Can't wait for that sweet little guy to go bouncing past my house. And drop <laughs> off some of those lovely eggs. Mm, yum, yum, yum. And, uh, yeah, as we've pointed out, it is Casual Friday. And that means a nice wee expert interview to sail you into the weekend. Today I'm talking with one of the authors of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change report that came out this week. How can investors help the world meet global emissions targets? Keep listening to find out. Okay, Jose, why don't you start us off with the latest update from my food bag? Sure thing. The uh, food delivery company released preliminary and unaudited full year results today. Unaudited here uh, means that they haven't been checked by an accountant or another uh, finance expert. And it's kind of a, a look-sees before their full year results come out next month. So uh, do bear that in mind. I'm keen to hear anything, to be honest, because their IPO last year won a lot of interest. It did, didn't it? And the company has characterised their performance since then as a continued track record of year-on-year growth. So they've provisionally recorded revenue for the 2022 year financial year as being $193.9 million. That's up 1.7% from 2021. Preliminary earnings were also up by 18% to $34.2 million. So that puts revenue ahead of where they said they'd be at at the IPO. However, earnings and net profit fell in line with that forecast. The world's been pretty volatile since then. So, you know, how have they managed COVID and inflation? Yeah, I mean, Omicron and that rising inflation, as you say, has put pressure on my food bag's costs, particularly in that last quarter. The company stated its main goal, however, was to keep its people and suppliers safe. But while that fourth quarter has been dulled, uh, the my food bag says as case numbers have declined in Auckland and their processes have adapted, these last few weeks have seen those impacts mostly alleviated. So when, when are they expecting to release their final and audited results? Uh, the date is May 20th, uh, just before the opening of the market, so set your calendars accordingly. And as for the share price, uh, I actually saw a bit of an uptick from uh, close on Thursday by 6.7%. And as we are recording now, the price is currently sitting at $1, the highest it's been since the start of February this year. Did you see HP Inc.'s share price rose almost 15% in the US yesterday, Jose? I, I didn't see that actually. Now that's HP, that's not HP source, right? That's HP of uh, the printers and of PC fame. That's it. That's right, Jose, not the source guys. Okay, good. I all love that source though. Uh, that's a pretty big uh, bump in one day, especially since most tech stocks are having a bit of a choppier time of it lately. What's the big deal? 
Well, you kind of answered it yourself, Jose. It is, in fact, a very big deal. Mm. The Oracle of Omaha, a.k.a. Warren Buffett, he's been shopping. Well, Berkshire Hathaway has anyway. And it's bought up large in HP. 121 million shares, to be exact, and that's worth about 4.2 billion US dollars. Oh, I've been doing this. I've been doing a recap for a while, and uh, just sometimes the numbers just get to you after a while. Like it's just so big beyond my my ken, to be honest. <laughs> but that's that. That must be a pretty big wedge of HP's shares overall, right? Yeah, it is. It's about 11 percent, so that's pretty chunky, and it also makes Berkshire Hathaway HP's largest shareholder. It's kind of an interesting move for them, right? I mean, let's ignore for a minute that Berkshire Hathaway's single biggest holding is Apple. Other than that, it's pretty well known for steering clear of tech stocks. Yeah, yeah, it is. Because tech stocks are typically high growth and Warren Buffett, you know, he's arguably the world's most famous value investor, which means he looks for companies whose share prices he thinks are unjustifiably low based on their fundamental worth. And as he's famously said before, his favourite holding period is forever. Mm. So when markets are buoyant, like they've been for quite a while until this year, it's harder going for value investors to find opportunities. Yeah, and that's precisely why Berkshire Hathaway has been sitting on a near record pile of cash for the last few years. You know, valuations have just been too high. But all this market volatility has created more opportunities and Berkshire Hathaway is now starting to put some of that cash to work. Right, so so is this a pretty big tick for HP then? Well, time will tell, I guess. It sure will. Earlier this week, the UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change released its latest report. It found it extremely likely the world will shoot past the ideal global warming target of 1.5 degrees, and we're fast approaching 2 degrees like a banner out of hell. Dr. Tommy Viedman is a professor of sustainability research at the University of New South Wales in Sydney. He was the lead author of the report's chapter on emission trends and drivers. And we talked about what the report actually says about our chances to mitigate climate change, how our lives will need to be altered if we're serious about reducing climate disaster, and how, as investors, we can help. The way I kind of looked at the report when it came, when, when it came out was that it seems to you know it seems to, to lay out the state of play quite clearly in terms of what you know the world is emitting and how that has grown or how it hasn't grown and it seems to me um, and you might have a different perspective on it but it seems to me that it's a, quite a mix of positives and negatives from your point of view what would you say the the, the positives are yes you're right it is a mix definitely so the positives that come out of the report is that we still have a chance to avoid the most dangerous forms of climate change. So if we take this serious, we can actually achieve, we, we can try to limit global warming to below two degrees Celsius. And this is what uh, the Paris Agreement said we should do or we want to do. Mm. And that so it is encouraging to see that it's still possible and it has become maybe more feasible now that many of the renewable energy technologies have become cheaper. So that was one of the key messages really that wind and solar power have become much cheaper. Solar power 85% compared to 10 years ago, oh, wow. wind 55%. And the same for battery storage, lithium ion batteries have become 85% cheaper as well. And that makes all the difference. Uh, that makes the difference economically. People now 
you know, businesses realize it's easier, uh, it's uh, cheaper to invest in renewable energy than in any other form of energy production. And that is already making a difference. Uh, that change, so, so it, that is leading to a change, but the change is not coming fast enough. Uh, that's the bad side of the report mm. that currently we are not on track to achieve that. But it is compared to the other IPCC reports that were published last year and then also Working Group 2 report just uh, a month ago or so, it is much more positive in terms of what can be done if we really want to do that. Right. Can we just break down that, 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 that big shift in the, the affordability of renewables? What's happened there? What sort of, what sort of technological changes have happened to make that, that, to make that, um, to make that possible? Yeah, if you look at the range of mitigation opportunities, it, there's a whole long list and it, it spans across all the sectors, really. But what stands out is energy and land use. And for energy, it's really uh, wind and solar that have become much cheaper. So these are definitely the big hitters that will help us to reduce emissions uh, at, rel at relatively low cost. So all of the mitigation options that are listed in the report cost less than 100 US dollars per ton. Mm. And half of them actually cost less than 20 US dollars per ton. And that is a really competitive price. So this is actually quite cheap. It has never been as cheap as this to mitigate carbon emissions. And that's why that's making a difference. Some of the technologies or methods even save money. So if you now install new wind and solar power, you actually save money compared to installing new fossil fuel generation with either gas or coal or oil. So it actually is a negative cost. It's actually saving money if you look at it from, from that perspective. Um, and in the agricultural sector or land use sector, I should say, there is actually a fair a big potential as well just in changing the way we farm so carbon sequestration in agriculture just by uh, changing the methods we farm can achieve a lot and also of course uh, reducing deforestation or planting new trees or uh, restoring forests that uh, will also has a big potential as well that's also not so expensive. The only problem here is that, of course, land use, there's always competition with food production. And then, as we know, in Australia, unfortunately, forests can burn down. Uh, so under climate change, it's a more uncertain method. But it, it is uh, one that we can definitely use, and it has co-benefits with uh, you know, improved biodiversity and all of that. And then other options are in sectors like transport and industry, for example. So new methods of producing steel, green steel uh, with green hydrogen, maybe, or with direct electrolysis, things like this. But also simply energy efficiency, material efficiency. And in transport, we can maybe talk about this a little more later. Um, there's a lot of opportunities just to avoid transport. How much of a lifestyle change are we talking about here? What is, if we do all this, what are our lives going to look like on the other end of this if we do turn the dial, so to speak? Well, we're talking about mostly things like uh, changing our diets, changing habits around transportation, and then uh, changing things around our house energy consumption. 
Um, but and then also also we can look into how do we invest and spend our money. And uh, personally, I find this a quite interesting thing uh, because personal carbon footprints in Australia are relatively high, around 20 tons of mm -hmm. uh, CO2 emissions, and that's about third, three times the world average. And I've mentioned those things like transport and, and food and maybe home energy. So um, what we need for heating and cooking. And that together makes up maybe around five to 10 tons. Uh, but the rest is what we do with our money, because every dollar we spend, there is a carbon load attached to this. So every product or even services that we buy they have to be produced in the first place and they have to be delivered. And that in itself creates carbon emissions. So we call these the indirect emissions or um, the, the life cycle emissions, and they are not zero. But you can make a difference by how you spend your money. Um, you can look for low carbon products. That's one possibility. Um, but also simply Banking and investing and financing can make a big difference. So these are services, and normally a service is not very carbon intensive on its own. So if you spend $1 on, on insurance, for example, or on banking, then it, it's not a, a big carbon footprint. But the problem is that uh, because housing is so expensive, what we spend on housing is a lot of money. So for those who are lucky enough to have a house and have to pay off a mortgage, uh, you do spend most of your money or, or a big part of your money just paying this off. Now, what happens with this money? You know, uh, it, it makes a difference whether your bank is investing in fossil fuel projects or not. And this is where you can make a difference. If you switch to a bank that... Uh, says they don't invest in fossil fuel projects and instead invest in clean energy, then that makes a big difference. And uh, that's actually the biggest part of our personal carbon footprint, these, these, all these expenditures. Yeah, that's a really good point. And it's something we've talked about quite a bit on Recap and our swear and shares is mm -hmm. that uh, if you are interested in not only having a, um, a financial outcome, but also uh, you know, an environmental, social outcome as well uh, it's yep. worth doing a little bit of a bit of research looking into where you're actually investing and seeing where they, where those outfits are, are investing yep. their money uh, it's a really good point i wanted to come back quickly to um renewables and particularly as you're in australia uh, australia's mm -hmm. renewables we're in new zealand why well, i'm in new zealand at the moment we uh, have a lot of hydro uh electricity generators here yep. so a lot of a lot of our power comes from that what's the current state of play with australia's renewables where where how is it working for you guys is it is it, is it growing at the moment where you where, where what are the main type of renewables that you, you australia is using yeah it's growing quite immensely i mean that that was not part of the ipcc report no. but if you follow uh, the news about renewables every day you see that there is a new project popping up or something coming um it, it is uh th there are a lot of things happening despite i would say the government not really supporting this actively i mean right. there could be it, it could be 10 times faster if the policies were in place but um even even despite that 
Uh, there is investment now going in large projects. You might have heard about the Sun Cable project, which is a, a big solar farm in the Northern Territory uh, that connects to Singapore via uh, undersea cable. And, and so exports electricity directly into another country. Um, there are plans for uh, the Great Western Energy Hub, which is in uh, the south of Western Australia. And uh, that's a massive project, uh, which, which also will, be, will consist of um, solar and wind power together. And uh, there are other projects uh, coming up on the East Coast as well. So there is investment going because investors have realized that there is money to be made, of course, but also that this is the right thing to do, that this is a future technology. And um, uh, you, you might have heard about the project in the Hunter Valley, that this is now a renewable energy zone. State governments are moving faster than the uh, federal government. So uh, renewable energy zones are being um, designated in uh, states like New South Wales and others. And the Hunter Valley, which is obviously a big coal producing region, has been designated a renewable energy zone. And a lot of investment is going in there to um, produce green hydrogen and other renewable energy. So there is a lot of happening. Uh, the potential is there. It could be much, much more. It has to be more if we want to bring down emissions here in Australia and globally. There has to be more. Uh, we, we are you know, leading in a rooftop solar, mm. but still, when you look around, so only maybe a third of houses have rooftop solar. So what's about the other two thirds? You know, there, there is still a huge potential and, and a long way to go still. It's really interesting. It'll be uh, interesting to look up some of those projects you've just mentioned. How confident are you or optimistic are you that we can meet that, that the world can meet that, that, two, that two degree target? Yeah, this is the, the million dollar question. Uh, I, I, after that report now has been finalized, I'm a bit more optimistic than I was before. We will very likely not be able to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees Celsius, which would be a, an ideal outcome, simply because the, the, the amount of emissions that we have to abate or mitigate by 2030, we, we will not be able to do that. Um, we can still, but still, the, the door is still quite open to limit to two degrees Celsius or maybe even below if we are now all going in the right direction. Uh, I know it's difficult. Climate change is not necessarily on the agenda if there is no climate catastrophe at the moment. In Australia, obviously, as you know, two years ago, we had the mega bushfires and um, the, the mood was very different than if you have things happening like this. And we have floods now as well, but they're a bit more localized. If we have something happening like this, then it comes back into our minds, but then we again tend to forget about it. Um, uh, Back then, or, or even now, we are at about 1.1 degrees Celsius, and we are already feeling those uh, impacts a lot. And just imagine what it would be with two degrees or even more currently. Current policies are would only bring us to something like three degrees. Um, but I think there is renewed momentum, uh, even even through the geopolitics that are playing out at the moment, there is also in Europe, obviously, a renewed push for to, to, to accelerate uh, a switch to renewable energy. And I hope that 
this will come about and that, that will tr trickle through through the global economy as well and uh, also so for Australia and uh, I think we have a really good chance to at least achieve two degrees Celsius. That was Dr. Tommy Viedman from the University of New South Wales there. There's a really good summary of the report's findings and recommendations on the conversation. If you're interested, there is a link to that in the episode description. That was Recap for the 8th of April. Thanks for listening. We'd love you to leave a rating review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Our email is recap at sharesies.co.nz. And you can also leave a voice message. There is a link in the episode description. We'll see you next week for more Recap. Have an awesome weekend. Bye. Bye.